session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded then each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, studio number 3104410555. I wanted to announce the book of the week again. It is Visual Intelligence by Amy Herman. Visual Intelligence, Sharpen Your Perception, Change Your Life. And I've only just started it, but it is an interesting book. She has done a lot of consulting and teaching work with um, a range of institutions, including the New York City Police Department, the FBI Department of Defense. And she helps people tap into what she calls visual intelligence or really seeing, um, well, it's an interesting way of saying it, but we see more of what we're looking at, meaning that even though you look at something, you might not be seeing or observing as much. And she uses looking at art, looking at artwork, to help people tap into that ability or to sharpen that skill of visual intelligence. So it seems pretty interesting. So I'll be talking about that on Monday's show. I wanted to start off today talking about communication. It's a very common issue that people bring up, whether it's in relationships, romantic relationships, parenting relationships, and it's almost cliche to say it at times. People will say, well, we don't communicate well, or we need to communicate better. And usually that's the case. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about communication and even what it means to communicate better, or how we should do that. And specifically, I'll focus for the first segment on communicating with your kids. So this one's more for the parents. Because parents very often feel, at various ages, how should I talk to my kids? How can I communicate better with them? Um, or my kids don't tell me anything, especially my teenager won't tell me anything about what's going on. How do I improve that situation? How do I change that? And so we focus a lot on um, how to make things better in communication. So parents can feel lost sometimes about that. So to begin with, I don't have a how-to or four specific techniques or eight things to say that'll make your kids open up. Because when we look at communication, what's most important, the techniques can matter, the way we talk, of course, matters. But what's most important is the relationship. So there's no easy way out or, um, you know, a phrase that you say that's always going to work or a certain thing to do that's going to work every time. That's not how these things go. If you want to have better communication with every anyone, whether it's coworkers, family member, romantic partner, kids, what you need to work on is the relationship you have because that's going to be the most important element of having healthy communication. So first and foremost, you should ask yourself if you're a parent and thinking about your relationship with your kids, what kind of relationship do I have with my children? How... Um, 
much love is there? How much trust is in this relationship? How comfortable does my child feel with me? And that's where you want to focus most of your energy and attention on. Because if you have a bad relationship, you can't have good communication. It just doesn't work. Because when you have a bad relationship, if someone doesn't feel loved, if someone doesn't feel that they can trust you, that you have their best interests at heart, that they can uh, feel comfortable with you, they're not going to talk to you no matter what, or they're going to limit the communication. So we can't have good communication when we have a bad relationship. So first and foremost, we have to focus on improving the relationship. So oftentimes in therapy where people will call in here and say, I want to talk to my son or my daughter about this. What do I do? And we can talk about some things they can do in the moment or ways that they can talk about things. But more important than all that is what the relationship is like between you and your child. So I'm going to go over a few elements of the relationship or about communication that are more specific to parenting, but uh, these will really extend to most relationships. So one big thing for your kids to see about you um, is that you are not judgmental. And this means not just with them, but of course with them it's very important, so you're not judging them, making them feel that they should be this way or shouldn't be that way or comparing them to other people or judging something they did or said in a really harsh way, but even how they see you interact with the world. Because if they see you judging other people like, oh, look at that guy, or I can't believe this group of people are this way or whatever it might be, you might think, well, it's not about my kids, so who cares? It's not going to affect them. But they pick up on them. They see how judgmental you are with other people, and they know that that judgment could then be put on them at some point. So even if you're not judging them in that moment, they're going to notice my mom or my dad is very judgmental, and that doesn't create or foster a connection that's going to lead to openness. It's not going to make them feel comfortable to open up to you. So be aware of how you are carrying yourself and how you are modeling the way you are with the world because they're going to pick up on that. And that's one key element about this whole topic is you might think of communication just as the talking you do with your kids, but you are constantly creating the relationship and constantly showing your child how comfortable they can feel communicating with you, what things you model in communication, and the ways that you express yourself to the kids and to people around you. And they're going to be noticing that. So if you're a harsh, critical person with people around your child, even if it's not to them, they're not going to be as comfortable to open up with you. And then related to that, that's another issue parents often have is my kid doesn't tell me anything or my kid doesn't tell me the truth or my kid lies. And of course, we have to accept to some degree they're going to do that. Uh, and each and every one of us has told lies before. So there's no such thing as never lying. But if we have patterns of lying and patterns of being uh, dishonest, what the parent always has to ask themselves is, how easy do I make it for my child to tell me the truth? How easy is it for them to not think there's going to be some severe, harsh circumstances, which could be uh, anything from as extreme as physical punishment uh, to really harsh punishments that are not physical, to verbal abuse or punishment, or even judgmental reactions. Even that makes a difference. So if your kid wants to tell you about a mistake they made or something they did they don't, that they don't feel good about, and you quickly jump on them, even if you think, well, I just said a few things, if they feel judged, they're not going to be likely 
to open up to you more. So you have to be aware of that. Am I being judgmental and related to that? Am I making it easy for my child to be honest? And this perspective extends beyond just when we look at honesty, where the parent needs to feel that I am responsible for the relationship or I'm more responsible for the quality of the relationship I have with my child. And if there are issues in our communication, I want to take responsibility for that, not place that on my child. Because parents will come in and say, oh, my kid lies all the time, or my kid never says anything, or my kid does this, or my kid does that. And as parents, we have to take that responsibility that it's more on us to, one, create that relationship, and two, try to recognize, well, what am I doing that makes my child act in that way? What makes it difficult for them to tell the truth? What makes it difficult for them to be open with me? Don't blame your kids for those issues in communication. In any relationship, we we can say it's 50-50 usually, which I think is true. If you're husband and wife, or if you're partners, yes, it's a 50-50 thing. You're responsible for half of it, and they're responsible for half. But when it comes to your kids, you're definitely much more responsible both for the relationship and the ways that you guys communicate, and even how they're communicating. So we have to be aware of that. Now, when parents ask about communication, very often what they're thinking is, so what do I say or how do I say it? Which is very important. It is a big part of communicating with your kids is how you say things, what you say, all of that's very important. But the part that can get missed in that is that what actually is most important when it comes to communicating with your child is becoming better at listening and the ways that you listen. So you should be focused on that more than more than exactly what you say. Am I hearing my child? Am I making them feel understood? When they share something with me, do I validate their feelings? Or am I judgmental and dismissive of, of what they feel? So pay attention even more to how you listen rather than how you speak. And in that same vein, make sure you are listening more than you speak. Something that parents very often do when it comes to their kids is they think, well, I'm the older one, I'm the grown-up, I have to be constantly teaching them things and telling them things and advising them on things and sharing my wisdom with them. And so they end up talking much more than they listen. And they create conversations that turn much more into monologues where they're just speaking rather than a dialogue or a conversation where they go back and forth. So if you want to have better communication with your kids, you have to make sure that the conversations go both ways and that even you allow your child to be speaking more than you're speaking. And if you find yourself talking and giving a long lecture, that's probably not the conversation you need to be having. And pay attention to how your child is responding to that. Because it could be possible if you have a really good relationship with your kid and if they really want to talk to you about some topic and they really want to have your input or you get your advice or if they want to hear a story from you, they might want to hear you talk for a few minutes, 10 minutes straight. So I don't want to say it's never right to talk for a long period of time. They might want that. But we have to make sure it's in a way that the child wants that and is expecting that or hopes for that rather than we are forcing it upon them, which is what a lot of parents are doing a lot of the time. 
a kid says they did something, they go into a 10-minute lecture into why it's wrong to do that and they should do it this way, or I used to do it this way, or I do this, and the kid's zoning out and doesn't get any of it. It's not even landing. But if you create a good relationship with your child, and if they really value your opinion, if they really feel that you care about them and understand them, they might want to hear what you think about things, and they'll come to you for advice. But advice has to be asked for, not forced upon someone. If it's requested, that's good. If you're just giving it to someone, that's not good. And that extends not just to your kids, but overall, that's always something that we want to be aware of. If we're giving someone advice without them asking, that's not okay. And so as parents, we have to make sure we are listening to them. And now listening extends beyond just the talking. Listening means observing overall. Because your children especially at a younger age, but even throughout, they communicate a lot with you through their behavior. It's not just what they say, it's what they do and how they do it. So very young children, they can't verbalize much, and often they're not even aware of much of what's going on for them and what they're experiencing. So if you're actually really listening to them, that means you're observing and having curiosity as to why they are doing what they are doing. Uh, I talked about this in Claudia Gold's book, um, the Developmental Science of Early Childhood, where she talked about uh, these four qualities of, of parenting that she talked about. And one of them that was very important was having a stance of curiosity, meaning that if my child does something, rather than think, oh, she's being annoying again, or he's being difficult, or I don't know why he does that, and I'm not even going to worry about it, or that's his problem, we always want to ask ourselves that why question in a non-judgmental way to try to understand why is my child doing this? And in that related uh, issue of what is he or she trying to communicate to me? Because they're doing that much more than you might realize. So they might, you might just think they're acting out or they're making it difficult to say goodbye, but maybe it's because they're feeling anxious when you're saying goodbye. Maybe they're having separation anxiety and you just blow it off as them being annoying or defiant or difficult, but maybe they're going through something. So if you want to have healthy communication with your children, you have to really pay attention to them at a very deep level. Hearing, of course, what they say and how they say it and all that, but paying attention to their moods, their expressions, their behaviors, their actions, also what they don't do. If they're neglecting something or some part of their life, you want to do that too. Um, and of course, this is a topic that I can talk about more, and maybe I will continue it after the break, but I do want to really emphasize that point again, that when it comes to communication, really with any person or life, the focus needs to be less on specific techniques. Those can be important. We need to look at those. But we have to realize that the most important part, what's going to make or break the communication, is the relationship, the quality of the relationship, the feeling of love and comfort and connection that allows for healthy communication to take place. Without that foundation, you can't have good and healthy communication. So if you're thinking about your child and how you communicate with one of them or all of them, think about that. What is my relationship with them like? And if there's a problem there, rather than trying to focus on eye techniques or how you say things specifically, make sure you're working on the relationship to improve that connection because that's going to make the bigger difference. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. We'll be right back. 
in session with Dr. Fadi Dulaqui, studio number 3104410555. In the first segment, I was talking about communicating with your kids, a topic that a lot of parents uh, can struggle with or want more information about how to get better at, which is good. We can definitely improve on that. And as I mentioned in the last segment, what's most important is not the way you communicate, although that's very important, but even more important than that is going to be the relationship you have with your kids. That's the most important. Now, another issue I wanted to talk about is a topic related to that when it comes to communication that I bring up with couples a lot, but that's also important for kids or with your kids, and that's having the uncomfortable conversations. Um, parents can dread their kids asking certain questions that they're not sure how to answer. For example, bringing up issues like sex or sexual assault or killings or mass shootings, these types of really serious issues that come up and parents can feel ill-equipped to deal with them. And, well, the truth is, first of all, maybe you are ill-equipped. So first you want to try to think about these issues a little bit more. But parents should take some relief in knowing that they don't have to have all the answers. Just because your kids ask you a question about something, it's very okay for you to say, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or, you know, that's a really good question. I would have to think about that, or maybe we can talk about that together. Or if it's something that's related to some kind of knowledge or can be researched, you can even tell them, you know what, why don't we research that together? Let's learn about it. Parents can sometimes feel a lot of pressure that they have to know the answers. They have to know everything their kid asks. And I think it's very okay for you to say, I don't know, or I'm not sure about that. Or even sometimes if it's a controversial topic, maybe you don't have a clear idea about it. And you can say that too, you know, I don't really know um, about that, or I've thought about that, and I'm not sure. And let's talk about that, which shows them one, that things aren't supposed to all be known, which is the truth. You're not supposed to know everything. But two, you're also valuing their intellectual input and that you want to have this dialogue with them. I want to I want to know what you think, or let's research it together, or even I'm going to research it and let's talk about it tomorrow. But somehow showing them that they're part of the process, that can be very important. So parents should take some of that pressure off of themselves that you don't have to have all the answers. That's not required of you and it's not expected and it's not possible. So we have to take that pressure off of ourselves. But related to that, although we don't have to have all the answers, we do have to be ready to have all the conversations. And so what that means is that whatever topic your child brings up from whatever age, you want to at least respond to them and make it shown very clear to them that it's important that you want to talk about that or that you can talk about that and that you're happy they're bringing it up. And so you have to be ready for them to bring up some things that maybe are uncomfortable, maybe sooner than you'd expect. Maybe your younger child heard something about sex and comes home and asks you a question and you're not expecting it. But how you respond is very important. Um, I've seen parents sometimes when they're not sure how to respond to something or they can get uncomfortable, let's say if a young child asks about sex, and they'll laugh or make a joke about it. Or they'll dismiss the question and kind of either make a joke or just brush it off or almost pretend like they didn't hear it because they don't want to have the conversation. And this can be very hurtful 
to your child in a, in a few ways. One specific to that topic, it can make them be very confused or unsure what it is or think it's bad to talk about it and it's taboo or it's bad that they brought it up and they can feel bad about it. And so they can have some issues related to that topic. Let's say it's sex or it's terrorism or whatever the issue might be. They're now going to think, oh, this is a, a bad thing or I shouldn't ask or think or talk about it. And they'll probably come to some conclusions on their own, which aren't very good. And they'll feel closed off from you. And related to feeling closed off from you, they'll also feel like, well, there's things I shouldn't ask my mom or dad because they don't like it or it's going to make me feel bad or they'll judge me or make fun of me or whatever it might be. So when your kids come to you, no, you don't have to have the answers, but you have to be ready to have all the conversations. And so even if you're caught off guard, if you're surprised, you can even tell them that, oh, I, I'm not really quite sure what to say, but let's talk about it tonight, or I want to talk to you about that, or I'm going to talk to your mom about it, or I'm going to talk to your dad about it, and I want to talk to you later on. So make sure you have all those conversations with them. And one important thing as far as a mindset goes, sometimes people think if you talk about something it means you're saying it's okay to do that or to start doing that. So if your kid asks about drugs, you want to avoid that conversation because if you talk about drugs with your child, it means you're somehow giving them the okay to start taking drugs or if it's about sex, to have sex or that it's not a big deal. And so very often we think, and this is very true in the Persian community, but lots of cultures follow this, that if we keep something taboo, it won't exist. Or if we keep it taboo and don't talk about it, it also won't happen. But that's not the case. We can avoid talking about sex, but it happens. We can avoid talking about um, sexual abuse and child molestation, but it still happens. And so to think that avoiding it, denying it, or keeping it taboo is somehow going to protect us is just a fallacy and a fantasy we try to tell ourselves or try to live in to avoid facing the harsh reality of the truth of what's really there. So we have to be ready to have those conversations and understand that they're not going to make these things more likely. They're just going to make our child more aware and feel that they can talk to us about these things. So we have to be ready for that. It's tough. Your child comes and asks you about sex and you don't know what to say. And so, of course, we have to be age appropriate. And I can't outline exactly for every age and for every topic what that's going to be. But children of different ages can handle different things. The language you use is going to be different. The detail you're going to get into is going to be different. But you have to be aware of that when you're making those conversations. And it might change over time. As they get older, of course, you might add more to it or be able to tell them more about the situation, but you have to be ready for that. So we have to not avoid the conversations. We have to be ready to talk about them and make them feel that what they have to say is important and that we want to talk to them. Um, for example, something like sexual abuse or child molestation. You don't have to tell a young child there's these people out there and they're going to try to get you. You don't have to scare them. Unfortunately, some parents think that's the solution. You don't have to freak them out to make them think that every person is coming after them because that's what they might feel. But you can talk to them about their bodies. And so, yes, we want to have the conversations when our children bring them up. But at times we might have to initiate some of those uncomfortable or difficult conversations and be ready for that. So from a very young age, you can talk to your kids about their body and that their body is their theirs and they get the right or they have the right to say what they like to be done 
to it and not done to it. If something feels good and they want to do that, they can. If they don't like how it feels or doesn't feel right to them, they always have the right to say uh, what to do that for that not to happen. And this includes family, and you have to make that clear. Even mom and dad, you can say, I don't like how mom you were holding me or pinching me or whatever it was, and, and mom should listen and dad should listen too. And this is why we also tell parents, don't tell your kids they have to hug every person and kiss every person because they're family or because it's a dinner party or whatever it might be, because that sends them the opposite message, that it doesn't matter what you want or don't want. There are certain things with your body that you have to do, or if an adult asks you to do, you have to do it. We don't want to give them that message. So you let them know this is your body. You have the right to to, to say what happens or doesn't happen to it. And then there's also more private parts of your body that are especially important. And you let them know about that. And these ones, only mommy or daddy get to see them when they change you or if we go to the doctor, they when they you know have to check you. Those are the only times that it's okay. But other than that, it's not okay. And so if someone asks you, to show you those parts or someone tries to show you their parts, you you don't you should not let them or you should tell us that that happened. And related to that, you always can tell us if someone does something you don't like to you and tells you you have to keep a secret because unfortunately we know that child molesters often use that tactic to try to keep the secret. They say, if you tell anyone, I might hurt you, I might hurt your parents, this is our little secret. Somehow they try to get them to... Uh, not reveal the inappropriate relationship and you let your child know, you always can tell us about anything that's going on in your life, but anyone you are talking to, if they tell you you can't tell us, they're wrong. You can always come and tell us about uh, someone who's you know having that relationship with you or doing something that you don't like. But that's just an example of a difficult or uncomfortable conversation that we have to be willing to initiate with our kids to show them also that we can talk about uncomfortable things or things don't have to be uncomfortable. We can be open. So parents have to really check in with themselves to see where might I have issues about certain things? Because if you have your own issues related to sex and thinking of sex as this really bad thing and this dirty thing or this, you know, immoral thing, well, you're going to be even more uncomfortable when your kid asks about it because you bring in all those judgments into the conversation. So parents have to really check in with themselves to understand what are areas that I actually can't talk about easily or I have my own issues and try to work on those things so that we don't bring them into those conversations because we inevitably we know that we're going to unconsciously or consciously bring our own issues onto our kids. So it's up to us to try to limit those issues and that impact by working on ourselves to make sure we can have those conversations in a better way. And so as your kids get older, they're going to bring up more and more issues that they're dealing with, and some of them might be uncomfortable for you, and you have to be ready to embrace those conversations and show them that no conversation is off limits and that I'll always be here and I'll always be willing to talk to you. Another big one is suicide. Many parents are afraid, even if their kid is very depressed, to even bring up that topic, again, with that fear that if I bring it up, it makes it more likely to happen, or I might be introducing that idea to my child, and of course, I would never want to do that, so it's better just not to talk about it. So I see a lot of parents who have severely depressed kids, and kids who've even made 
either veiled threats or more direct threats or indications that they might be suicidal. And parents just completely dismiss it. So, you know, he just said that kids say things. They say they want to die if they have a bad day. She was being dramatic or he was being dramatic and just saying something. And it's just, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. I don't think she meant it. I don't think he meant it. And what I always say is that if your kids bring up suicide, you take it very seriously. No matter how much of a joke it seemed like or how much it seemed like they just said something in the moment, you always take that seriously. Doesn't mean you have to immediately hospitalize them or call 911, but it does mean that we're not going to ignore it. We are going to talk to them about the issue. We're going to really check in to say, hey, you know, you, you said that and I just wanted to see what you were thinking or feeling or what's going on because that really concerned me. And it'll do a few things. One, it shows your concern for your child and that you're really listening to them and that you care. And as I always say, if they're not suicidal, maybe they'll tell you, oh no, I'm not. I just said it. I was really frustrated. And it still opens the door, have a bigger conversation about how they're doing and what's going on, which is very meaningful and valuable. But on top of that, you've let them know that if they ever are feeling that way, if suicide ever is on their mind, you've shown that they can talk to you about it, that you can handle it, that you can have that conversation. And that is very valuable because essentially what you do when you create those kinds of connections is you've created an, another bridge. And that bridge is there that if it ever needs to be used, your child knows that they can use it to connect to you, to communicate with you. And that can be priceless and literally be the difference between life and death if your child knows they can come to you and talk to you about something like that. So as parents, you have this big responsibility to not shy away from the uncomfortable conversations, to not have taboos, to not make things unspeakable or topics that can't be even thought about or talked about, and to show your child that you're ready to have any conversation with them. You don't always have all the answers. You don't know everything as far as knowledge goes, and you haven't figured everything out as far as what's right and wrong, good and bad, but they can always have those conversations with you. So with your romantic partner, it's so important to have those uncomfortable conversations, but with your kids, it's very important too to show that uncomfortable conversations can be had. We're going to talk about them. We're not going to shy away from them. And I'm ready to talk to you about anything that you want to talk to me about. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. You know, and I wanted to talk today about um, love and kindness, motivated by the book that I talked about on Monday night's show, which was "Me Myself and My Brainstem Tumor" by Bayan Azizi. And very sadly, well, the book is about his memoirs, uh, having uh, this a brainstem tumor as the title itself implies and all the difficulties and challenges that he went through medically as a kid starting at nine years of age when he got the diagnosis and everything he went through and his, his family went through and all of that. And very sadly, 
just a few weeks ago on March 30th, uh, Bayon passed away. And I just heard of that news about a week after his passing. And so I wanted to talk about the book um, to honor him and was very honored that his mother called in on the show Monday night. And that was uh, very, very sweet, very, uh, but bittersweet because it was sad, but happy to have her share more about her son, this wonderful man. Um, and something throughout the book that you feel is the impact of love and kindness. And actually, it was not planned, but um, I was, you know, in the commercial break, I experienced some love and kindness, a few people from the, the radio. Uh, my father, Mahnaz, Hedi, and Farzana came in with a birthday cake for me. My cake, my birthday, my cake was, my birthday was Sunday, and they brought me that, which was very sweet. And, uh, a nice it felt very nice and to feel that love and kindness and so i didn't obviously know that was happening and that i'll talk about this but it was interesting how those two things happened at the same time because um throughout the book when you see him mentioning different people who did different things you see the positive impact it had someone going out of their way to do something for him i was very touched by one of his uh friends in high school this girl allison who would meet with him to do his physical therapy exercises that he had to do and, and do those with him regularly, which was very sweet. And you see the appreciation he had for all those people. And, and of course his family who had to go through a lot, his parents, but also his brother and sister. But you see the impact that it had and the appreciation he felt and how it made his life, which was unfortunately very difficult in regards to the medical and physical issues and limitations and disabilities he had to deal with, but he still accomplished so much, which is incredible. But so his life that was so difficult in so many ways, how it made it easier to bear. And that's a lot of what we can do. Now, lots of times our love and our kindness can make things actually better. We can make a tangible impact in someone's life, change something, give them something um, that really changes things. And that's wonderful. And we should strive to do that. But very often our love and kindness doesn't actually change a situation, but it can make a painful situation, a difficult situation easier to bear. It can make something that we feel like we can't handle uh, manageable or something that hurts, hurts a little less. I really liked this study that I read about a few years ago um, that they were doing electric shocks on the ha on women while they were in a fMRI, which basically could measure their brain activity. And so they saw how much their pain centers got activated. And there was two conditions, one when, or maybe there's more than two, actually, I think there also was a third one, but there was one where they were just alone and they saw how much pain they felt. And then there was a second one where they were holding the hand of their partner, their husband um, would be holding their hand while they got this shock. And they saw that the brain fired less in the pain centers. And I think there's another condition where they were holding the hand of a stranger, someone they didn't know. But when they were holding their husband's hand, they felt less pain. So literally it made it less painful when they had someone there. The shock was the same. So the situation as far as what they were going through didn't change. But having that support and that 
in this case, that physical touch um, made the difference of making it less painful. And that's very often what we can do or the most that we can do, but it's worth a lot, is that you might not change someone's going through a divorce or if someone dies, if someone um, loses their job, whatever it is they're going through, very often you might not be able to do anything for them tangibly. But just by being there for them, being supportive, being loving, being kind to them, you can actually affect what they feel and how hard it is for them to go through that. And very often people can feel this feeling that they need to do more. So um, if someone is grieving, people see that person that's grieving and they feel that they have to make them happy or cheer them up or they say, well, I can't do anything, so why should I see them? I can't bring back their dad or their mom or whoever it is that they lost. So what's the point of me being with them? But as that study shows, and we've all felt when we're going through a difficult time, even if someone can't change the outside, they can change how we feel on the inside. And that could be very, very important. And people who are grieving very often will say, you know, just having people around or feeling that made it a little bit better, made it a little bit easier. And they appreciated that. Or they say maybe they didn't want to be alone. And so just having someone's presence was very valuable for them. Of course, we want to make sure we give them what they want because maybe they want some space or they need some alone time or whatever else it might be. And we want to give that to anyone, whatever they want, not what we want to give them. But we should recognize the power and the significance of just our presence and our loving kindness that we can show to anyone. And I see this a lot with couples too where more likely than not or more often than not it's the man who can have issues with this but let's say the woman is venting about work or complaining about things that are happening and the man can feel paralyzed and they'll want to offer advice or try to fix things and the woman can get frustrated and say no i just want you to hear me out and the husband can feel like they don't know what to do they feel like something is wrong or because they feel like they can't change it let's say if the person keeps complaining or has heard about something for a long period of time and they think they're supposed to fix it and they feel like they can't, they get frustrated. They might even get mad at the person and say, stop feeling that way, or you shouldn't feel that way anymore, or get over it, or you keep complaining about the same thing. But if we realize our role isn't to fix anything or our role isn't to take away a feeling and just to make someone feel happy when they're sad, and it makes it easier for us when we take that pressure off to just be with the person while they are feeling whatever they're feeling. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to make anyone feel anything, whether we're... Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Um, hi, Dr. Holakwi. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling regarding my son. He's a freshman in college. Okay. Um, he's finishing his first year. Um, he started a, in a major in science, biomedical sciences. And now he's uh, considering changing to um, university studies because it gives him more opportunity to explore other areas. Okay. So um, I remember that um, on one of these calls, you had a very similar conversation with another caller 
you mentioned that you kind of started uh, being pre-med and then changed to another major mm-hmm. uh, in undergrad. I kind of wanted to have to see, uh, ask your opinion about uh, this uh, sudden change. He actually notified us like this weekend, and now he has to make that decision by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that does not give us. Um, not that we want to make that decision for him, but this is a very sudden change. Um, uh, so the only question, because he always has been a major, like a science student in high school, he was more interested in science and math, and he kind of showed interest, and that was his path. Mm-hmm. Um, and now suddenly he doesn't uh, get very excited about chemistry and physics and math and he kind of tells me that he does not see the reason why he's doing all these classes, and he's trying very hard. He's a very good student, actually, in college. Um, but he's studying really, really hard, and, you know, college is more rigorous than homeschool. And, um, he tells me that he doesn't get the point of putting all this effort, whereas he can see that he would be more interested in something like sociology, okay. psychology, philosophy. And let me stop you there also for a few reasons. One, I want to make a few, ask a few questions, make a few points. But your sound breaks in and out. I don't know if the way you're speaking into the phone um, is as direct. Uh, just wanted to make that point. But I, one thing I'm glad you said, because I was going to say it myself, is that it is definitely his decision to make. It's not... Uh, anyone else's decision but if he wants to talk to you guys I think that's good and it seems like you want to understand it better and you know you said it was all of a sudden but we don't know if that's the case maybe he's been thinking about this for a while maybe he's been unhappy for a while and so we want to try to understand what's going on better there Um, and I I have mixed feelings about it I I obviously don't know the whole situation yet but I wouldn't want him to not do something because it's hard or because it's a lot of work because I hope that whatever he studies he works really hard at it and puts in a lot of time and effort that's going to be there no matter what what is important is that he's doing something that he feels passionate about it he wants to do and he really is excited about because then he'll be more likely to be willing to put in the hard work because he really will be passionate about it and will want to do it nonetheless though it's going to be challenging so that's something he has to recognize too so i think for you you're concerned well what is your concern let me ask you so um, to be honest uh, my concern is not that uh, like you know our cultural pattern that all the kids uh, from Iranian background, they either have to become doctors or lawyers yeah. or engineers. And actually, I, I, I went to medical school myself, so I'm a physician. I don't practice it here, but so I've been through that rigorous study um, program. Um, we have tried always to get away from that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, giving you a background in high school, I would always um, invite him to see what interests the most, which classes mm-hmm. he enjoys the most, he doesn't find it boring or doesn't like, uh, doesn't seem studying as much as, you know, having, um, uh, exploring himself more in those classes. So this was our mindset when he was growing up, he was going to high school. Um, and I would always, uh, literally every year I would ask him, does computer interest you more? Is it like language arts? Is it 
biochemistry, or sorry, is it chemistry? And every year he would literally look and see more interested in science courses. Mm -hmm. And then now this, uh, he tells me that he wants to switch, but not because he's passionate about something different. That we had this conversation recently, and I said, what do you see yourself doing, and what do you see yourself doing it with joy? And his uh, response is, I don't know. Hmm. See, that's the, that's the part that my concern kind of comes into play. Yeah. If, he, if I had seen that, he would be... Um, or he would be more interested or more passionate about, let's say, uh, a field in, I don't know, let's say law or um, like finance or becoming an investment banker, whatever that is out there, I would definitely just let him go and explore. But when I ask him, okay, the, the decision right now is to change the major, but what is the, the big picture that you're looking at. I'm not saying you have to definitely choose a career right now, mm -hmm. but if you're changing your path, it has to be kind of looking at some bigger picture. And what is your end goal? Of what do you do with this undergrad right now? Yeah. And it tells me I have no idea. Okay. Well, you know, there are a few things that come to my mind. And some of them are unanswered questions, and maybe you won't know them, but it may, it's worth thinking about and talking to him about. So he doesn't necessarily have to have a plan yet, but I can understand your concern that he's not switching from something he seemed to love and like so much to something else he's really more passionate about, but he's just dropping that and saying, I don't know what I want to do. So one thing, it could be that he's realizing he thought he was interested in this, but he's not. A lot of kids, even though you're saying you didn't put that pressure on him explicitly, maybe he felt that anyway that he should want to be a doctor or that's the path he should be or that's the more prestigious path. And so he was following it and now he's realizing he's not sure that's what he wants to do. There could be that. Um, another thing that could be going on is that he could be doubting himself. So a lot of kids in high school... They can be top of their class and do very well. But then once they go to a college, especially if they go to a difficult school or a competitive school, all of a sudden they're surrounded by people who are also very, very smart. And then they're taking hard classes if he's taking sciences. And there could be this doubt of, am I good enough to do this? Can I handle becoming you know, a doctor or you know, studying the sciences when I was used to getting A's fairly easily or you know, I could do that and now I can't get A's and I'm not doing as well. So that's something that I'd want to look at. Is he doubting himself and his ability and if wondering if he's capable of, of succeeding in this field so he thinks he has to do something else? That's something that I'd be thinking of and related to that, I'd also want to see how he's doing overall. I don't want to say he's depressed and give him any kind of diagnosis, but you want to ask him and try to understand how is he feeling? Is he just more down? Is it harder for him to study? Is he going through some, you know, emotional things that are affecting him? What, how is he doing overall to me is very important, uh, idea to look at here when someone switches like that. So, um, that's another thing for you to keep in mind and for you to, to look at is how is he doing overall? Is he okay? Actually, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because I was looking at it standard, like a more pers a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. We uh, we did not just focus on oh my god, like it's a change of nature. So we were. Uh, I went through this conversation with him, like 
how do you feel? Do you, is it like being homesick? Or I even uh, considered him being bullied in school or being kind of threatened or something. And he said, that's not the case. He doesn't, he says he's not homesick. Okay. He, the past year, I have asked him several times how everything is going on, how does he feel? He's keeping it in, I mean, with the study that he's making A mostly mm-hmm. in chemistry. That's what I think is getting to him, that he's doing his best, but he says, I do whatever I can, and I still get a B. Um, and yeah. probably that might be working in the background. Mm-hmm. But um, again, so uh, another uh, concern that I have, because he mentioned, I don't even like my school. I don't want to continue staying in this school. So it was a little bit difficult for us to understand what is the, what is the basis yeah. of all this. It's not only, okay, I don't like this major and I don't see myself. It's like, I don't like this. I can't make A's as much as I really work hard and I don't sleep like for three consecutive days. I don't like my school. I don't fit in. Hmm. That has uh, becoming a little bit uh, confusing because looking at it from it, from a parent's perspective, um, I can't see where to start or what to look at. Yeah. No, I get that. You know, no, that we are going to have this conversation because mm-hmm. I asked him to call you and he was in a class right now and he wanted me to call for him so he could later listen to what mm-hmm. you have to offer. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I think, see how that's hard for you because so much is changing and it's hard for us to know, is he, is it really this school and he's not happy there and there's, you know, some legitimate things going on or is it just college life or something more general that even if he was at another school, he would be unhappy too. We don't know exactly what that is and he doesn't know for sure, but I could see how it's hard for you to know what's going on and what would help him even because it could just be, he doesn't want to work for, you know, he's working so hard, he's getting burnt out. He doesn't want to work hard in any major. So it's not about, sciences it could be that he's just going through a lot and it's too much um one you know issued another aspect of this to look at when you said he's trying so hard and sometimes getting b's uh was he generally a student who was always very smart and things came easy to him yes okay in high school he was he was a very um like top uh top 7.5 percent of his uh grade mm-hmm. it's he was studying. It's not like like he, he's not a, like a genius or something. Some as some some would call it. But he would study hard, but he would get really good grades. Okay, uh, so I mean, and he would place in competitions. Mm-hmm. So and he's a he was a well rounded child. It was not we were forcing him to just study. He was doing like um, he was in soccer, varsity soccer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he was, well, the, the reason I was asking about th- how things came to him, there's this idea of mindset, and there's a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, and that some people we can have what we can call a fixed mindset, and then the, mm-hmm. the other one is the growth mindset. So fixed mindset means that we think that some people are smart or and some people are dumb, or how well you do in school is based on how smart you are, not how hard you work. And so it's just about this fixed attribute about you that can't change. The growth mindset looks at that we have to work on things to get better at them. That hard work is what makes us successful and makes you get an A. So the fixed mindset says, I'm smart, I got an A. Growth mindset, 
is saying, I studied hard, I worked hard, I earned that A. And so sometimes kids who are very successful academically from a young age, they're constantly told they're smart and it seems like things come easy to them. And so there's this feeling that I'm smart, that's why I do well. And then when they face a challenge, unfortunately, they feel like, well, that's the limit of my smartness rather than from a growth mindset, the idea is, well, that means I just have to work harder. So there could be something there. And the reason why is because when you were talking, I was kind of struck by the way you were talking about how hard he, he was saying how he didn't want to work so hard, which I can get. It's not pleasant, but it makes me wonder if there's something there, but he doesn't think he should have to work so hard. Or he thinks it should come easier to him in something in that domain. Or is it that the hard work is making him think about, do I really want this? And maybe either he's sure or he's unsure, but either way, he's choosing to go away from it. So I can get your, that you're kind of perplexed and it's not quite clear. I think you need to have some more conversations from with him and we really have to make sure we allow him to express more because a lot of it's we have to try to f understand what's going on within him and what he's thinking and feeling and maybe he hasn't even thought it all the way through but you can be with him and thinking things through a little bit more to see what is going on is it really he doesn't like the sciences that much is it the hard work he's feeling burnt out what's going on for him at a, at a deeper level, bigger picture. And I know you were saying he has to decide by today or tomorrow to change his major, but nothing is going to be set in stone forever. Even if he has to take an extra year, he has to do whatever he has to do. That's okay. So I don't want you to get too um, caught up in this moment that today is going to determine his life or have a big impact and nothing else can be the same. It's like um, a big uh big thing to, to be aware of that it's not just today if that makes sense okay that's that's very helpful okay. yeah yeah i was i was thinking more towards um just letting him because that's how we tried my husband and i tried to start of our kids to give them the space to mm -hmm. become their own individual beings as much as we could from coming from the iranian culture and, you know, I actually talked about the six and growth mindset with them. I do that a lot. Um, so I was more towards letting him make that decision. But, you know, the parent inside me that is worried because uh, rather than just a major, I'm trying to figure out if it's depression, if he's mm -hmm. being homesick, or there's something underlying, uh, the underlying of all this working that I'm not, you're not seeing. That yeah. And that's something that, you know, it, that's especially why we don't want to focus on just today, because if there is these bigger picture things or deeper things going on, we can't force them out of him either. Uh, the, you know, it's going to be, I talked about it today, actually, to start to show that the, the biggest part in communication is the relationship. And so these things take time. And, and that's why, especially, I don't want you to get focused on figuring everything out today, because it's probably not going to happen. Um, even if he has to make a decision today, but that you want to have these bigger conversations with him of how he's doing, what's going on. Is it really he wants to change it? Is it is he doubting himself? You know, I, I try to give a few different ideas or directions to think about in the conversation um, with him. And I hope you guys can have that to get a better understanding of where he's at. And yeah, I changed my major and then I went through some ups and downs and things. So I don't get too concerned as, you know, he's 18, 19, and he has to figure it all out now. He can have some ups and downs and changes and then still end up in a very fine place and a place he wants to be. So that's where I want you to 
try to guide the conversation or have a conversation with him, but not get too caught up in the moment that we have to get all the information out today. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you so Yeah, sure. Thanks for calling. As I mentioned, I told him that we're going to have this conversation, and I think it's very good that he can listen to it later on. Sure, yeah. I'll I'll download the show. uh, I'll upload the show tonight so he can hear it, but then we'd be more than happy to talk to him next week if he wants to call in. That would be great. Thank you. Oh, great. Have a good day. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our next commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Um, hi. Hi. Um, Dr. Fahey, first of all, I want to thank you and your father for all you do and for all the information you are giving us that makes a big difference in everybody's life. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I can speak for myself and say it's definitely a pleasure to get to do the show, but thank you. What I like to know is about uh, personal, uh, um, borderline personalities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like how we can spot these people and decide what are they and how far they can go. Um, okay. So you're saying you're talking about borderline personality disorder. And then are you wondering if someone you know has the disorder? Exactly. Okay. Maybe we can talk a bit about that. Who, who is the person and what are you seeing? I have, um, um, she is Canadian and um, she has a daughter and a boyfriend, um, I think, has um, this problem. And um, he's about 30-some, 30 34, I guess. Years old, and um, the things he does sometimes it comes so unusual. Like um, he suddenly comes behind you and grab you, um, you know, like um, tickles you, and you know things like that. Or it does the same thing with a sixteen-year-old girl, and when uh, she says. Don't do that, don't do that. He continues doing that. Finally, somebody else has to say, okay, stop it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I I think this is, um, like, to me, it sounds very strange. I don't know. <clears throat> that does sound a little strange, yeah. Um, you know, borderline personality disorder, though, um, it might not be the same as what you're, you're talking about their specific i mean it's very there's obviously a lot more to it but there are people who they tend to have a lot of mistrust of people as far as um they're they're constantly afraid of abandonment and so because of that they can be very volatile in their relationships lots of ups and downs emotionally they're very labile which means they have very big ups and downs they are again, constantly afraid of abandonment and because of that can act out in ways as extreme as threatening suicide or even making suicide attempts or um, uh, 
issues related to that. They're just very unpredictable up and down, and they can go through these uh, fluctuations between idealizing someone and then vilifying them and devaluing them. So first they might meet someone, they say, I met the man of my dreams or the woman of my dreams. They're an angel. They're the best person in the world. And then a few months later, that same person is the devil and the worst person ever. And they, uh, you know, just talk about them in the most horrible way. So there's this very volatile, chaotic uh, experience that people have when they're in relationships with them because they're constantly up and down. So this idea of tickling people without them wanting to definitely sounds um, a little peculiar and bizarre and not okay. But from just that, it doesn't sound like borderline personality disorder, but people with borderline personality disorder do have um, a bad, do poorly with boundaries. So that could be in a way related to it. So what else makes you think he, he has borderline personality disorder? You know, just the boundaries mostly that I think he, like he was sitting at a table and suddenly he reaches and grabs something from your plate. Hmm. Or, um, you know, mostly is like physical. And because it's grabbing, I was thinking that is this um, considered as sexual? Well, I mean, I could see how there's something, you know, you said both to maybe you or and also to a 16-year-old girl, um, he'll do the same thing, kind of touching, unwanted touching and, you know, things that they don't want. And he won't even stop when you tell them to stop. There's something clearly a little bit off with that. So, again, if it's a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, I'm not sure. But there's something there where he doesn't seem to respect boundaries and care what other people are doing. There even could be some feeling of narcissism there that he doesn't have to care about what people think or what they want. He's going to do what he wants or even worse, like antisocial tendencies. But again, that's going a little bit extreme just based on that. Is anything else I talked about with the borderline fit in with him as far as the ups and downs and constantly fearing abandonment, um, lots of anger and any of those things fit him? Maybe abandonment because he lost his mom very early and he was raised with um, with someone else, you know, of course, with a dad, her friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I, don't, I don't see anything else, but if somebody is behaving this way, what is the problem? Like, um, what do you do even though you... You ask this person many times, don't do this. And then you look around, see he did it to everyone, mm-hmm. you know? And we and say did it, it's again the tickling, is that's like the thing he does a lot? Tickling and suddenly coming behind you and grabs you um, and it's more like hugging, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from the back and suddenly brings you up and turns you, you know? And how does he How does he respond when you tell him not to do it? Uh, because I'm not very close with him. I just laugh and well, say, don't do that, don't do that, you know? Yeah, so that's and, the part where, you know, and maybe we don't need to get too focused on diagnosing him and focus on how you can interact with him. Um, yes. But my recommendation would be to be more assertive and clear. So if he... Mm-hmm 
already is not good with boundaries, then you have to be even more firm with him. And although you might not know him so well, if it's really bothering you, I think you should assert your right to let him know. I really don't let you know. You tell him in a serious way, please. No, I really, yeah. I, no, I'm sorry. Um, you know, everybody around him, like family members, everybody, somehow they they asked him not to do it. Even the girlfriend herself says, "Don't do this with her," or you know, things like that. But. Even that, like when we talk all women around him, everybody has the same experience. Everybody says the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just concerned if, if, can, if this can go farther, can be, uh, you know, can this person be um, dangerous, sexually dangerous to the girlfriend? Well, I mean, it's very hard for me to speculate on that. I'm not going to say he is dangerous, or I'm not going to say he can't be a danger at all. But there is, I get what you're saying, because there is this disregard for what the other person wants. And there, because it's touching, there's definitely a sexual nature to it or feeling to it. And it seems like you keep saying it's women that he's touching in that way. So yeah. that makes it seem even more that there's something sexual about it. So yes, there could be concern that he doesn't take into account the other person and what they want, maybe not just sexually in other ways too. So as a characteristic or a personality trait, I'd say that's not a good one for a partner because you want them to be very much, um, to, to very much care about what you're going through, what you feel, what you like and don't like. And it seems like he shows a disregard for that. So yeah, I could see that concern that you, you have. Doesn't mean he's going to sexually uh, attack her or act out. Obviously, I can't say, but um, there is it is concerning. But for me, it's even more important for you to be. This could be a good test for you of being assertive. Uh, Iranians in general were not very good with assertiveness. We can use things like tarof, or you know, it's not okay, or I shouldn't say it, or it's impolite, or it's rude, and we avoid a lot of times conflict or confrontation when sometimes it's necessary, especially to express how we feel and to make sure something we don't want to happen doesn't happen. So you can try that with him of, it's up to you to have him stop with you. You know, you can't control his behavior, but you can control how you respond and how you communicate with him. And so I would recommend, and you know, if it makes you feel better, also, if other people are having this issue, it also will be helpful to him to hear it even more directly from you. Now, that shouldn't be your whole intention because one, it might not make a difference. And two, I want it to be about you and asserting what you want. Um, but if it could be beneficial for him anyway, but you want to make sure you're not having someone touch you in a way that you don't like. You obviously have that right. Doctor, um, what happened? Recently, somebody accused him of sexual abuse. And this, like, when we start thinking about it and talking with others around him and around us, we, you know, we start questioning because somebody accused him of sexual abuse. And because of these signs that we noticed, we, we don't know. Like, um, it could be true. It, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, but, uh, we won't know if it's true. And I get, you know, but, you know, I can understand your thinking that um, 
what he is doing with you guys does seem in a similar vein, of course, much more extreme, but the same theme of someone doing some kind of sexual assault, just not physically touching people in a way they don't want. But again, that's taking a leap. So I'm not saying because he did that, we know he definitely did that. But I could see the connection you're making that, yeah, when it comes to touching us, he's not respectful. He doesn't seem to care what we want. He does it anyway. He's intrusive, all those things. Um, but can we make that conclusion that he did that? No, and it's not, I would say it's not really up to you or you that your group to, to make that determination to, you know, you guys aren't going to be the judge and jury for that. But do we have to um, believe him and support him and do something? Or I, we really don't know towards him how yeah. we have to be. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do because you have to do what you think is right and what you feel comfortable. I would say, again, going back to the idea of assertiveness, don't do something you don't feel comfortable or don't agree with. So if you don't want to support him or if you're unsure about things and or you know you feel like well the way he's treated you makes you feel like maybe this is true so you can't really say i definitely want to support him and, and vouch for his character then don't do that you know you know there isn't something yeah. you have to do if you're not sure I, I would just say maybe i don't want to get involved or be involved and leave it at that so i, I don't think there's a have to here that you have to support him or not. I think this issue of assertiveness has come up twice in a way. So I think that's something for you to think about, how easy it is for you to do what you want to do or say what you want to say, and how often do you defer uh, just to avoid conflict or confrontation and just do what other people want or expect from you. And how do we have to uh, talk to the girlfriend, and, you know, like, well, I mean, I'm sure she's devastated. I mean, so the the so the situation is that he he got accused of sexually assaulting someone else or her. No, someone else. Someone, someone else, else okay. said that he did that to him. We don't know, you know, the details yeah. right now. Right. But this is what it came up, and it's getting a little bit serious. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think overall, I mean, I don't know your relationship with her and how close you are. Um, I would just be, again, if you're, let's say you were close to her, I would just say your role would just be to be supportive, but not to try to fix anything or convince her of anything. You really can't and you don't know. So yeah, it's tough. I mean, if your partner gets accused of this, it's so many things. One is you don't know if it's true. And if it is, there's the infidelity piece, which is one piece, but then of course him attacking someone, which is horrible. It's so many things. So she's dealing with a lot and we could understand that. But I don't think it's your rule to try to, you can't fix it or to try to change anything. If she wants to talk to you, you can just talk to her and let her speak. But I don't think you need to give her any specific advice or tell her this or that. And recognize that it's it's difficult. If we put ourselves in her shoes, we realize that's a tough spot to be in. And I, 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 mean, I, don't, I don't want to say too much about what she can or should do because I don't know. Um, but that's tough. So you're, I think I would limit... The, res the the pressure you put on yourself that I have to do something or what am I supposed to do, there really isn't a clear uh, response. And also the pressure of doing too much is probably more of an issue than doing too little. Just yeah. if you need to, if she wants to talk to you, talk to her. If her mom wants to talk to you, you can talk to them. But there's nothing you need to do. You don't need to get involved in any way. If anything, I think that would be doing too much. Thank you sure. very much. Thanks for calling. Help. Yes, nice talking. Mm -hmm. You have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Right,
All right, going into our last commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delokwi. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Holakui. Thank you so much for your program. My pleasure. Thanks for us. calling. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Um, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and my issue with her is that she basically she doesn't care about anything. Um, she, When she was back in middle school, her grades were, um, they were okay, and actually she got to honor roll. But now she is in a high school and she's in tenth grade, and this year is even worse than last year. <clears throat> Basically, she, she doesn't care uh, all her grades are F and D's. And when I, I don't know, basically, my, my question is, I don't know how to uh, how to how to react to her because mm-hmm. I get angry and then I um, start, you know, talking to her that why is it like that? And she gets so many tardy. She has like 21 tardies now, and uh, she goes late to classes. Um, the teachers, they don't like her, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, she doesn't participate. She doesn't care. Uh, she can wear the same thing that she was wearing yesterday. She sleeps with it, and she goes to school next day. Okay, um, so I mean, what, I'm going to stop you there. Um, you know, what you're describing sounds like depression, and to me, mm-hmm. I, I always tell parents that D's and F's, especially for kids who are getting good grades, they're emotional grades rather than academic grades, meaning that it's showing that emotionally something is not okay, not that mm-hmm. your kid is not smart enough or can't get a better grade. So um, I would want you to focus less on her grades and focus more mm-hmm. on how is she doing, is she okay? Because clearly it okay. seems like she's not okay. Mm-hmm. And She was... Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. She, we- we, we took her to a uh, psychologist and psychiatrist. And psychiatrist, um, I, I asked her that if she needs to get some medication to get focused or, you know, I don't know, I don't know what it's called exactly. But she, he said that, no, I'm not going to put her any, in any kind of medication for that. But he gave her something like, I don't know, something Prozac or something very mild. And she, he said that this is going to help her out. And going to make her and she needs to take it in the morning so she be, so she can focus on the study and you know school stuff but she was taking it for like one week I was giving it to her one one at a time one every day and then she was supposed to take it to uh, the next week and she just quit and so um, she doesn't do anything. She's under another medication, and she doesn't just t- doesn't take it. I mean, okay. and so I, I don't want to have to have a, be on a control of her that you know take your pill all this stuff. But so and that's what she hates. She yeah. doesn't want anyone well, to control. Let me ask you life. something. Do you have any other kids? I have yes. I have an older daughter that they are ten years apart. Oh, okay, so, so that's good. Um, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. but you know, one thing I'm just in, in even how you're talking about everything, I feel like you're too preoccupied with performance, even in how she mm-hmm. takes the medication. It's about 
almost like performance. She doesn't do anything or you took her to the psychiatrist. I feel like your daughter is very depressed, but you are so focused on her focus. Like, Mm -hmm. how does she focus more? Why doesn't the doctor prescribe her something so she studies better? And Mm -hmm. I would be less concerned about her academics and how she is doing emotionally, which seems like she's not okay. And just Mm -hmm. in hearing you talk about her, I can feel like you put a lot of pressure on her. And Mm -hmm. that to me is the problem. So I, I want you to almost, your focus, you're not supposed to make her grades better. And I almost want you to mm-hmm. not care about her grades in the sense that, of course, you're always going to care. And we care because it can be reflective of how she's doing, but not worry about if she's getting A's or B's or if it's going to affect her ability to get into college or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I want you more focus on how is she doing and how is your relationship with her? Because clearly mm-hmm. she's not feeling okay. Mm-hmm. Because even, no, even when you started, you know, even when you started, I heard you saying... Um, she doesn't care about anything. She doesn't care about anything. And the first thought I thought is, well, do you care about her not caring? Not about, well, she needs to do her homework or what's going on. But to me, if I hear a 16-year-old doesn't care about anything, I worry about the fact that she doesn't care more than, well, if she's not caring about school, how do we make her do her homework? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do, I, how do I react to her then? I mean, how can I help her? How can I, how can I make this relationship work? Because... She, um, I don't know. She she when she wants she doesn't want to talk at all. Okay. And she 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 doesn't open up to her doctor either. So I don't. I'm trying to find a way to help her out, but there is she doesn't open up and she doesn't do this stuff. Either. But I but again, so I want your your focus to be less on helping her out, and I know that can mean a lot of things. But as far as helping her out and what's going on at school or anything else and focus on just how is she feeling? How is she doing? And I I started today's show talking about communication between parents and kids. um, And the focus was on the relationships and this idea that as a parent, you have to, when your kid doesn't talk to you, first of all, as teenagers, they're going to talk to you much less than they used to. And that's something parents have to be ready for. But um, also, if they're not opening up to you, how easy do you make it for them to open up? And in just hearing a few things you said, we've only talked a few minutes, but I get a very uh, a judgmental attitude from you and a very harsh and, and, and coming on that you come on very strong. So I don't think you make it very easy for her to be open with you. If she says, you know, I just didn't feel like doing my homework. What would you say? Why don't you do your homework? Exactly. Right. So you get into the action of doing it. She knows she's mm-hmm. supposed to. I mean, I don't think your daughter understands that homework is something that needs to get done and that she should do it. That's not the mm-hmm. issue. When she says she doesn't do it, I want you to mm-hmm. focus on the why, not the what. So why? What mm-hmm. is going on for her? What is she feeling? What's happening? Mm-hmm. What, you know, her motivation has changed. We want to be concerned about that. Not did she finish her homework assignment or not. I don't care about that Mm -hmm. i do care about how she's doing and feeling and i think we have to be concerned i'm glad she's going to therapy and Mm -hmm. maybe she's not opening up but we have to give her time how long has she gone to therapy she's been there for uh, like a month and a half okay that's that's nothing that i mean i want you yeah that's mm -hmm. basically just you know they're still forming a relationship and for all ages the most important thing in therapy is the relationship between the therapist and client but especially with teenagers it's even more important so give that space and i would also give space because you said she doesn't open therapy how do you know she doesn't open up in therapy i talked to the therapist you know this is the other thing that 
um, the therapist doesn't talk to me. Good, and good. I, I <laughs> they're not, they're not <laughs> supposed to. You know, I, that, that's the feeling I got because even said he does. she doesn't open up. I don't want you to know how much she opens up unless she wants to come tell you, oh, mom, today was a really great session. I wanted to tell. And that's fine, but you, that's her space. And although she's technically a minor and she's not an adult, I respect mm-hmm. my clients that are teenagers mm-hmm. as much as I can as adults, and I would hope you do the same thing. So you have to give her that. And, you know, you said you, she doesn't like controlling, and I can get that because you do seem to have a controlling side to you, that you're trying mm-hmm. to control even what happens in the course of her private therapy sessions with her therapist. You want to be aware and know what's going on and try to affect it. you, you got to let mm-hmm. that thing run its course because six weeks or a month and a half, mm-hmm. whatever it's been, that's nothing, especially for a, your daughter who's probably going through a lot and she's a teenager and she seems mm-hmm. to have some issues with you, so she's going to have mm-hmm. a harder time making that connection with the therapist. Mm-hmm. So we got to give that space. So um, I don't want you to know what's going on in her therapy unless it's something really serious and you need to get involved, but I don't want mm-hmm. you to try to get yourself involved. But then how can I help? If I don't know, if, if I do wrong and... I have no idea that I'm doing it wrong, and the therapist is not talking talking about it to me. That then, h- how do I know that which part is bothering her? Well, you can, you know, if you want to, if the therapist wants to, uh, you know, and usually therapists working with the kids or teenagers will meet with the parents every so often. You can go to the therapy sessions to try to learn how to parent in a way that's better for your daughter but not to try to extract information as if you now have a spy because you have the therapist. So the therapist might work with you and say, you know what, here are some things you, and and, and are you married still to her father? Yes. Okay, so you and her father can work on together. And I wish we had more time because these issues always are much more complex than just your daughter is depressed. There's a lot more going on, but we won't get to that. I have about a minute um, or so before we have to get off the air. But. I would say, you know, if you want to go to her, if you go to therapy or to go to meet with the therapist, the focus should be on your parenting and how you can improve that. Not what is my daughter telling you? What is she going through? I need to know so I can help it because, you know, your job isn't going to be to fix any of the things she's going through. If she wants to talk to you about it, you can give her support and advice, but you don't have to know to figure it out. And I would really um, assume her grades don't matter anymore. Just Get that out of your mind, because if we put too much pressure on that, it's just going to hurt you and the relationship. And we just got to let go of that because your daughter might be really suffering. So I don't care about her grades when she's 16. I care about how she feels about herself and her emotions that she's going to carry with her for the rest of her life. So to try to shift that focus, um, I wish we had more time to talk. I do have to to stop now, but maybe maybe if you call back in next week earlier in the show, we can talk some more. Absolutely. Great. Thank you very much. Nice talking. Have a great day. Okay, nice Bye-bye. Day. Bye. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Rahman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.